0: Hi everybody, this is Kevin Goldstein welcome to another very brief episode of Chin Music, a podcast presented by Fangraph. Some quick housekeeping so you understand what is going on. Uh, There has been some, I have some travel this week in addition. I got a COVID booster that knocked me on my ass and I was kind of out of commission for about 36 hours. And because of that, uh, just a very shortened show, no segment one, no segment three, just a special guest. And I hope you enjoy, uh, what I hope is an informative and entertaining conversation with free agent pitcher, Colin McHugh. Uh, next week I have, uh, another problem in the sense that i will not be available thursday but we will be recording on friday that will be a normal show with a co-host and a guest and all that good stuff uh the week after of course is thanksgiving week and as someone who chose to record on thursday and put out on friday that's not going to work and so we will actually have an earlier show and thinking about and when i say thinking about this uh really depends on some input from you uh, a co-host for the Thanksgiving show is going to be John Taylor, who helps with the editing at Fangraphs and who co-hosted an episode and, and I had a blast with it. I thought he was great. And uh, we're thinking about doing, because it's the holiday, it's going to be hard to get people, of doing an all-email show. Uh, we have so much fun with your emails. So if you want to be part of the all-email show uh, coming up uh, for Thanksgiving week, make sure to send your email with a fun question or just something that creates a fun conversation, baseball or not to chinmusic at fangraphs.com. Uh, but we wanted to get you something this week and always thank you for listening and hope you enjoy this talk with Colin McHugh. Okay, special guest time. Uh, my special guest was an 18th round pick in 2008 out of the baseball factory that is Barry College in Georgia. He is a free agent right now coming off of Fantastic, year. and joining me from beautiful Atlanta. It's Colin McHugh. Colin, how are you? I'm
1: doing great. Kev. How have you been?
0: I've been good. I've been good. I I, I kind of want to talk about about the right now, uh, in the sense that you are a free agent. Um, this is not your first go around in free agency, but you know you signed a, a smaller contract with the Red Sox for 2020. You signed a smaller contract with the Rays for 2021. Uh, but now you're coming off a year in which you had a one and a half ERA, you had a, a whip under one, you had a career high strikeout to walk ratio. You were going to be uh kind of for the first time, maybe a much desired free agent. Um, What's this process uh, been like for you so far? I know it's, we're obviously very, very early.
1: Yeah, we super early. Um So I, and I think there's plenty of, plenty of room for things to change and, and maneuver their way through this off season. But in general, you know, I've been telling people, um, you know, 2020 and everything that it was has changed a lot of a lot of how we think about work and how we think about our personal lives and how it blends all together. And uh, you know, with me, it, with me, it's been the same. You know, it's has changed a little bit of the way I look at baseball, what I'm willing to do, what I'm not willing to do, where I want to be, where I don't want to be. Um, I've got two little boys, you know, I've got a, a wife who's got a shop here in Atlanta that's, she's, you know, busting her ass and working super hard. And, uh, you know, I, I like being around them and, um, you know, baseball has for about 12 years now, baseball has kind of taken me on a journey of its own and, uh, and brought everybody along. So we'll see what ends up happening this year, but I'm trying to enjoy where I'm at right now and, and
0: let the chips kind of fall where they may. I mean, it's interesting to me because you know more often, and and you know this, you know players, and and often the 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 union tries to guide players uh, to you know in order to help other players to simply take the biggest deal. Um, it sounds like you have factors more than just money that are that are really important to you. Does that include things like like big league location, spring training location, or are there other factors?
1: Oh yeah, I mean it's all it all plays into into the um <laughs> into the decision. You know, I think the misconception for a lot of guys is. Because the guys at the top of the market do, I think have have a lot of pressure both put on them um, by MLB and by the union, but also like a, a sense of a sense of um, responsibility to the players that are going to come after them to kind of get the best deal that they can get. Uh, but those guys also experience the exact same things that you know tier three, four free agents like like myself do that do as well. You know they've got places they want to be, places they would just as soon not be. Um, they've got family issues. They've got all kinds of things that are dictating to them where they would like to end up and what, what kind of contract they would be willing to take. And, you know, I don't think those stories get covered very often because they're not very sexy. And, you know, at the end of the day, they don't want it to be the center of it, but everybody deals with that. And so, yeah, I think I'm not, like I said, I'm, I'm not a Top of the market, set in the market type of guy. I never have been, which I, I'm counting my blessings because of it. But uh, yeah, my my decisions are a lot a lot easier on everybody. I think.
0: Um, you know, when you came to to Houston, obviously Houston was kind of on um, really one of the originators of using pitch data, and and with you it was not. You know, I always told people, so you we didn't like change guys as much as we tried to maybe have them use their best pitchers more um, and that was the case with you. and then you went to the Rays who are a very pitch centric or uh, pitch data centric organization. Was there a big difference between what the Rays were telling you or how they were telling you that as opposed to what the, the way the Astros did things or was it kind of the same thing in maybe a slightly different language?
1: No I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up because I, I think a lot of people uh, they do think that you know that I think the Astros in our time there and um, Tampa really for the last 10 plus years, have kind of been on the, on the cutting edge of decision-making, you know? And and I think that's kind of what it comes down to is bringing the right people in, um, bringing guys in who do something, uh, that is elite, you know, do something spectacularly well. Um, and then, yeah, going out and telling those guys, Hey, do that more. If you can do this, do it more. Um, and you know, that's when I came over to Houston, we weren't very good at the time, but we were talented and we were getting deeper. And, um, You know, me along with, you know, Dallas and Lance coming up and some of these guys really did have one thing that we did really well. And we kind of had to work on everything else um, to get better at it as to become, you know, well-rounded pitchers. But having that one thing can get you a long way in this game, especially if you utilize it well. And so, yeah, this year in Tampa, their big thing was, you know, you've got a slider that you can throw for strikes in any count on both sides of the plate and that gets bad contact. So throw the hell out of it you know throw Mm -hmm. it as much as as much as you want to and then we'll work off of that and uh and kind of you know how to pitch and you know kind of the the art of pitching so when you get into a jam and you need other stuff you can go to it but for the most part find your formula find some bread and butter and just keep eating
0: uh you know your first four years with the astros you were a starter um since then you you moved to the bullpen you made seven starts for tampa this year but they're all kind of race starts if you will you know an opener (laughs) and um do you is that do you see yourself as a bullpen guy now? Do you do? You, I mean, I assume your agents are in Carlsbad right now, meeting with teams, and and your name is coming up. Are they telling teams you you want to try starting again? Or you just do you see yourself as as a reliever, a starter, or whatever you want to use me right now?
1: I see my you know I've kind of taken that mantle as a reliever and and run with it. At first, I was a little skeptical. You know, I'd been a starter my whole life. It had it held some sort of prestige to me. To be a starter and to, you know, throw 100 pitches and get through the lineup three times and, you know, carry a workload of 200 innings and all those things that have kind of traditionally been the cornerstone of rotations. Uh, but as I've seen and you've seen baseball change pretty dramatically and pretty quickly over the course of the last six or seven years in the way pitchers are used, and the efficiency of pitchers um, as they go through a game, I'm kind of – I feel like I'm kind of in a sweet spot right now of um, – of the value of what I do, which is middle relief, but middle to long relief in high leverage situations, Mm -hmm. Um, which is something kind of, we talked about with the Rays a lot. And I was talking to Snyder and talking to Kevin Cash and these guys, we're having an open conversation throughout the course of the season of what's the best, most efficient way of using me. That's going to keep me the healthiest. That's going to make me the most effective when I'm out there. And that's going to make sure that it might in between my in-between outings uh, I have a chance to work on things and to recover and do all that. And I think we kind of nailed it, you know, two to three innings every two to three days is kind of was kind of ideal for us. And um, you know, for me, I, we, we've had this conversation as well about really the most efficient way of, of pitching a baseball game is three pitchers throwing three innings, really like one time through the lineup three times um, with maybe somebody at the back end, you know, closing down the eighth or ninth. And, I don't know if it's going to come to that, and that might be that might be sacrilege to people who are listening to this. And if, if it is, I'm sorry. But when you're looking at the data, and the data backs it up, it's hard to ignore. And um, you know, I saw I saw that firsthand this year with some success. So yeah, I'm am a reliever, um, but at the end of the day, I'm a pitcher, and I know how to do a lot of different things. I got a big tool belt, so we'll see what in, what ends up happening.
0: Uh, I mean, as I said in your introduction, you, know, you were an 18th round pick out of a small school. Um, you kind of bounced around the Mets system for a while, uh, went to Colorado in a, in a minor deal. Um, the Astros got you on a 40 man claim. Um, but your first real, like big league success didn't come until you were 27 years old. Um, during that, that kind of 22 through 26 period that had some, some big league looks during which you struggled and things like that. Um, like, was there any frustration or, or kind of self questioning of, of, is this going to work out?
1: Oh, so much frustration. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Oh, man. I, you know, I've been playing baseball my whole life and I'd always been good, but I had never been great. You know, I never, I really was never the best player on any team that I was on. I never played travel ball growing up. I played, you know, played some basketball, played some baseball, but mostly, or played some soccer, but mostly just played, you know, rec league baseball for my whole life. And then I got into high school and played some high school baseball and I just kept progressively getting better, getting a little bit better every year. And I got into college. Yeah, I went to Barry College, which like you said is the the juggernaut, the powerhouse that is Barry, Barry College, not to be confused with Barry University in Miami, which they which are does get, they get some kids out there, really right. Um no, this is Barry College in Rome, Georgia, which is amazing school, beautiful campus, um academically pretty tough, but baseball was not our is know, that not D, our, our, Is that D2 or NAIA? We were NAIA when I was there. They're D3 now. Okay. Um and but I will say this, they Coach uh, Coach David Beasley has been there for years, and he's a great teacher of the game. And when I was there, I was lucky enough to pitch under Josh Hopper, who's now the um, the minor league pitching coordinator for the Pirates, and he's super well versed in all things data and biomechanics, and you know, kind of of the of the Brent Strom, Kyle Snyder. Um, you know, philosophy of of pitching, which is get yourself in the right position and be super aggressive. And, uh, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to continue to get better under him. And that kind of is just the way it works. And I love baseball because it, there really is no maturation period that is consistent among everybody. You know, for me, it really did take till I was like 26 or 27 to figure out how to get guys out on a consistent basis in the big leagues. Um, And I was lucky enough to be healthy enough and, and in the right places before then to give myself a chance but there were plenty of guys coming up who were much better than I was uh had better stuff and all that kind of stuff but uh, yeah I was I was lucky
0: uh during those struggles um you did have one amazing thing happen which is in 2000 i want to say 13 uh you got your first major league hit and I do want to talk about your <laughs> offense for a second here because uh you know for national league teams looking at Colin there's something to know here which is that he owns Clayton Kershaw your first hit came against Clayton Kershaw
1: yeah, I am. I am one for one against uh, Clayton. Uh, maybe one for two. He might have gotten me out that game. I don't remember, but um, it was probably allowed loud out because I was just I was all over him. I'm just kidding. He, he, I got a, I, I got a first pitch heater down the middle, and I closed my eyes and swung as hard as I could and hit a ball right back up the middle and felt great about it because I got to first base. <laughs> And uh, now this was like a a Dodgers powerhouse. Puig had just
0: gotten called up. He he the Dodgers won this game eleven to nothing.
1: Oh my gosh! Yeah, I (laughs) clearly did not pitch well um, in it, but yeah, I got my knock. I got to first base, and Adrian Gonzalez was there, and he said, "How does it feel to get your first knock off of a future Hall of Famer?" And I just sat there for a second, kind of just in (laughs) awe because. I had not been on first base since I was 17 years old. And I was like, no, it feels great. And then the next, I think the next inning, maybe two innings later, Clayton came up with bases loaded and hit a bases clearing double off me. And I thought, you know, this game is just, this game is just not fair. It's not, it's not going my way right now. And this is probably where it ends. And I really, I sincerely thought that after that (laughs) game, I was like, at least I got a, at least I got a base hit. At least I got that on the resume. If it's over
0: here, this is, this is forever.
1: And that was the last game I pitched for the Rockies. Uh, It was my last game of the season in in
0: 2013. (laughs) Um, As as you are entering free agency, um, it's kind of unavoidable to talk to. It's kind of part of this year's free agency. And um, you've been very involved with the union in the past. Um, And I know you're still very involved with the union. There is uh, anticipated by most people with a brain, um, some sort of, of labor stoppage with the, the, the current CBA expiring on December 1st, does that affect kind of your timetable for agency? Is, there, or, or is it a zero factor or is it a big factor where you kind of would, I don't know, like to know where you're going once they figure things out or is it something where you just kind of wait and see?
1: You know, I, I was, I've been having this conversation internally with, uh, with some friends and some, some former teammates of mine about kind of what the ideal situation would be for, for a free agent. Would it be ideal to try and sign before the CBA expires to get it in ink, get it in paper and take our chances with whatever happens afterwards? Uh, would it be better to wait and, and see how the chips, you know, fall and um, see if we're even there for spring training. Cause like you said, spring training might be, might be a bigger factor for some guys and where it is, whether it's Arizona, whether it's Florida and, and, we don't know if that's going to happen. To be honest with you, um, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of uh, a lot of balls in the air right now, and and still a lot of issues that need to get resolved uh, between players and and the front offices. But all that being said, I am very hopeful because I think if 2020 taught us anything, it was that our our fates are kind of mutually aligned. Um, it, is, it is a bit of mutually assured destruction if we if we choose not to find a way through this. Uh, it doesn't mean it's going to be pretty and it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but I think that everybody is on the same page in the sense of we want to get a season going. We want to play. Um, I think the game is as talented as it's ever been right now. Um, and I don't want to waste one more second of any of these guys' careers. I want to see Juan Soto hit 900 times next year. You know, These guys mm-hmm. are just, they're incredible. And um, I think it's it's beneficial for everybody if we can, find a way through this. But as far as personally goes, um, I think it will more rest on how teams decide they want to uh, approach things. Um, obviously they, they kind of have the the final say in offering contracts and what the timetable looks on that. Uh, looks like on that. I think some teams will push right out of the gate and try and sign some guys quickly in the next three weeks. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a, a flurry of signatures, you know, before December 1st. Um, and by the same token, there might be teams that are like, nah, we're, we're going to wait this thing out and see if see if any space opens up for us, any cap room opens up for us, or, or if the playing field just changes in general. So, I, you know, I know that's a non-answer in a lot of ways, but I think that's where I see it.
0: And, I mean, do you anticipate the last CBA got done and, and I, you know, I'm not trying to offend you here, but it, it was, you know, the, the, it felt more like it was focused on some some creature comforts, if you will. You know, we've got cooks on the road and, and better bus rides and things like that. It feels like this year it's a little grittier um, and getting down to more um, like you know, real pressing issues as far as like service time and trying to create a, a rule set that creates more competitiveness and things like that. Do you think that the, the for lack of a better term, the structure of baseball in terms of things like service time and arbitration and free agency, do you think they will be... Different or dramatically different going forward once the CBA is, is kind of knocked out.
1: It doesn't seem like at this point that the ownership groups are super interested in changing the status quo um, on on any of the reserve system issues. Uh, you know, I I don't know if they've said as much uh, out loud, but you know, the last we've seen the last five years over the course of this last CBA that they have used. Use the leeway that they've been uh, that they negotiated and that was negotiated into the last CBA uh, to their advantage at about about every level. And there's some really really smart people in front offices these days. There's there's guys who um, have come from different backgrounds and I think have seen the game in a in a less traditional sense and and I think that has helped in a lot of ways and and hurt in a lot of ways to be honest mm-hmm. with you. And um, I think as as players, our job is. To continue to push the game forward, to make the game both better for players uh, that are that are coming after us, and respecting the players that came before us and and what they did and the things that they sacrificed to get us to where we are, but always to remember that at the end of the day we are an entertainment product and that we do have a responsibility to fans and to the game to make it as good as possible, and um, you know that might mean standing our ground on a lot of issues that we feel strongly about, and and it might be finding a little bit of space where we can wiggle around and, and make the game look maybe a little bit different, but overall make it a better product Um, at the while at the same time, just trying to continue to hold our value as, as players, as the product on the field, as kind of the ambassadors to the the greater baseball world um, that people see every day. And so it's a lot of responsibility and it's, it's a lot of, a lot of work to get a hundred or 1500 players on the, on the same page um, with all of these issues that are um, that are before us right now. So like I said, I'm hopeful, but uh, it, it's we've got a long way to go. And I would caution everybody to be patient. Be patient. <laughs> Let's see how things play out. Uh, social media is its own animal and it will continue to gobble up opinions like it uh, like I will be gobbling up turkey at Thanksgiving in a couple
0: weeks. Do you do Twitter? You're not big on Twitter, right? You know I was. do a lot of Instagram.
1: I've dabbled uh, in Twitter. I was an early adopter back in my Mets days, and it got me into a little bit of trouble. And so I put it to the side for a little bit, and then um, over the last few years kind of got back into it. But I think it it ends up being a little bit more trouble for me than it it is uh, rewarding.
0: I did. Yeah, no, Twitter rewards nobody. Um, I, I, you know, I, you know, I do follow you on the gram and I see all of your uh, your, your great British bake-off auditions and things like that. Um, but you also, you watch the World Series and, you know, obviously the Rays had a, an earlier than they would have liked exit from the playoffs. And so the World Series was between the Astros, a team you used to play for, and there are certainly players in that team who you are still close with and coaches and things like that. And between the Atlanta Braves, and you are in Atlanta, and you grew up in Georgia, and I assume a Braves fan. Um, how did you watch that series in terms of rooting interest?
1: It was insane, to be honest with you. It was, <laughs> I mean, it was so weird on every level. Uh, yeah, I grew up a, in a huge Braves fan. I mean, John Smoltz was everything to me as a child and so to now be able to know him a little bit and and have had you know some some good interactions with him over the last few years and then to watch him did he complain (laughs) to you
0: about the shift
1: uh we've we talked about it you know we've talked about all of the the nuances of the new game and how just everybody and everybody that played before was they were just tougher and better than we are and i i get it i get it um no, John's John's fantastic, and he knows so much about baseball. So I, I, I enjoy listening to him, uh, especially. I mean, let's let's be honest. The dude was a lifer, brave, and couldn't have had more of a poker face at, in the in the announcer booth during the World Series. And I can't imagine that was easy for him. But um, I was the same way at, at the house because I I am a huge Braves fan and I love the Braves. But my best friends in baseball uh, were on the Astros for six years. And Charlie Morton is also one of my best friends and he's on the Braves. So I was just so, my heart was being pulled in every direction and I just kept repeating, I just want to see good baseball. You know, I just want to see good baseball. And in my heart, I was like, I just want everybody that I know and care about to do fantastic. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, it's been, it's been four years since, since 2017 and, and two years since the, the story of the scandal broke. Um, how much of that still plays in your mindset, if at all?
1: Uh, I think f- it's less of an issue for me. Um, on multiple and to be clear, levels. you
0: you were a pitcher; you weren't involved, right?
1: Right, right, right. I was I was a pitcher, um, and you know, I left. I left after nineteen, and have not had to be in the shoes of those guys who have have played on that team since then, um, especially this year. You know, in front of fans, in front of mm-hmm. other teams, and. Um, you know, they've gotten, a, they've gotten a lot, a lot of flack this year and it's, it was hard. And to me, the fact that they were able to not just weather that, but almost embrace it as, as a mantle and say, no, we are as good as we knew we were then. And we're going to show everybody, um, and to make it back to the world series again for the third time in five years is, was remarkable to me. And I was super proud of those guys because anybody who knows them, um, um, I mean Jose Altuve is one of the best people on the planet and mm-hmm. uh, I love him with my whole heart and to see him really I mean shoulder a lot of that un- unnecessarily and unfairly but um to be the face of the franchise and to go out there every day and play and do as well as he did was was fantastic to see um but yeah it's it's tough for those guys and I I've had ongoing conversations with him over the course of the year and it hasn't gotten a whole lot easier to be honest
0: right um, I do want to talk about 2020 a bit. Um, you signed with Boston, uh, in your in your first go around in free agency. Um, and you ultimately opted out, um, as as many players did. Can you talk about kind of what went into that decision? Yeah, I mean, so much. We were in a pandemic. You know, we were in a, <laughs> in
1: a worldwide pandemic, and you know, it's easy to get for that to get lost in the sense because they did play a baseball season that year. Uh, mm-hmm. It was shortened. There was a World Series champion. They did the whole thing. Um. But we were in the middle of the worst humanitarian crisis across the world in, I don't know, a hundred years. So it was, uh, that might be stretching it, but it was a lot. And for me and my family, um, it was just we we couldn't, we couldn't as a family, and I couldn't personally make that uh, make it make sense in my head to go out and live in a different city by myself without being able to see them. They couldn't travel. Uh, and, and try and play for, for three months just to say that I could, um, I knew I had, I had some priorities that were a little bit out of line and had to make some adjustments.
0: Did you feel as safe as you wanted to even this year? I mean, I can think about a specific incident just where, um, like the red Boston Red Sox had, you know, a bit of an outbreak and it happened while the team was in Tampa. Um, Yeah, no doubt. You know, and I'm just trying to think like, did you feel as safe as you would have liked to this year even?
1: Uh, I think so. You know, I got vaccinated as early as I possibly could. Right. Um, you know, so it was mid February, and I had gotten, um, I had gotten my first dose, and I was still trying to be, you know, extremely safe. Trying to, you know, trying to listen to listen to the experts. I believe science. I believe the experts, and I am smart enough to know that I am not a scientist myself. And so when they said, wear a mask inside, I wore a mask inside. When they said, you don't have to do that anymore because you have 87% vaccination or whatever it was, you know, I didn't do it as much. And now I, now I do because I I don't want to get sick. I don't want my kids to get sick. And, um, over the course of the season, you just kind of learn to learn to make do with what you got to do. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, I was never particularly feel f- fearful in the clubhouse I think it was probably one of the safer places we could be um and at the field and then away from the field I just tried to you know take extra precaution because I knew that it wasn't just me and my livelihood that I was affecting but potentially everybody in the clubhouse
0: um you can you talk about like what you're a different pitcher than you than you were even you know when you won 19 games in 2015 um the you know the repertoire is different the usage is different can you kind of talk about like how you've changed as a pitcher over the years, because everyone has to make adjustments. But you've kind of like that slider was not something that was there when the Astros first claimed you, for example, or at least not at this level.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. I had uh, I had a curveball and I had a forcing fastball and a shitty changeup, and you know <laughs> it, I, we made we made it work. You know, I was like, I'm going to throw a lot of curveballs. I'm going to mix in some cutters. We're going to throw high fastballs instead of low fastballs, and you know. We're going to see what happens. It was a and very it vertical. It
0: was a very vertical attack.
1: Super vertical attack. And for a guy with, I was kind of a low slot guy, um, but didn't really understand the idea of being a low slot guy with a high vertical attack um, until kind of later on in my career. And really it wasn't until the results dictated other people asking questions about like, how is this guy doing it? Um, which is kind of what I would ask. I would ask myself uh, often, which is how was I not good? And now I am good. Um, <laughs> But yeah, over the course of the next few years, the league makes adjustments. Um, you get a little older, you get a little bit more tired. Your arm hurts a little bit more. You do different things, and you've got to figure out a way to <laughs> to continue to play. And I was hurting seventeen at the beginning of the season. Um, and when I was rehabbing, I was just messing around with uh, who was the uh, I don't know what I don't know what Josh is now, but he was the, um, he, was minor the bullpen, league, he was the bullpen yeah. coach this year. He was a bullpen coach this year. We'll see what happens, right. uh, you know, with Strami stepping aside. Um, big congratulations to him, by the way. Just an Yeah, I want to talk about career. him for a second. Oh, I love him. Um, but, yeah, I was playing catch with him on rehab, and I was like, hey, I'm going to mess around with a, a little bit more of a sweepy curveball. And so that's how it started. It was kind of like turning my over-the-top 12-6 curveball into kind of a sideways curveball without trying to manipulate my arm slot with just my, my wrist angle. And um, – it felt pretty comfortable and I was getting good action on it. So I was like, screw it. I'm going to try and throw this in rehab games. And I did. And they liked it. They liked the data that was coming off of it. And I liked the swings that I was getting. And so, yeah, I continued to kind of work on it a little bit that year, gave up a couple, a couple big hits uh, later on in 2017 on it and kind of scrapped it for a minute. Um, Cause I was like, I'm not going to get beat in, you know, in the world series, the playoffs or whatever with this pitch, but new in the back of my mind, this is, this is maybe a game changer and uh, worked on it all off season in, in 17, 18, and then came back in 18 as a full-time reliever and just leaned heavy on it. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's been kind of a nice little uh, romance between me and that slider sense.
0: Uh, so like I said, you were, uh, you know, for the Astros, a 40 man claim uh, in December of 2013 and you, you came to camp in 2014. That was your first time, um, you know, probably in person with, with Brent Strom and, um after the world series this year brent said he's stepping away and he will not be the astros pitching coach this year and for me you know and 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 it's it's weird you know obviously i got let go at at the end of of, of 2020 and um you know carlos correa's becoming a free agent all stuff but something about strom saying i'm done felt like the end of an era in a way for me um and struck me differently uh can you talk about like what brett strom meant to you because i i don't know of any pitchers worked with them where he didn't make a huge impact on their lives
1: Oh man, what a start. Um, I, I love that guy. Uh, I think Strami to me is the, the best pitching coach in baseball, um, has been at the forefront of pitching philosophy and biomechanics and, you know, data-driven, uh, pitching since before that was ever remotely cool. (laughs) You know, he's, he's got, he's got a binder of things that like newspaper clippings and stuff from years ago of just showing guys in different positions of strong power positions. He would go into deep conversations about javelin throwers and how, you know, they, they put themselves in a strong position to keep their arms healthy and how they've never had arm problems. And, um, you know, he just thinks on a different level and he just loves baseball. He eats and breathes and sleeps baseball and he cares so much about his guys. Um, and you see it like you see, we yeah. call him stress ball strummy because he's always just rub, <laughs> rubbing his forehead and pacing in the dugout. And we're like, dude, I don't know if he's going to make it this year. Um, but he yeah, he's he's an incredible pitching coach. He's a, a more incredible person. Um, and yeah, I don't I, like I like same way with you. I don't know if anybody who has played or, or pitched with him who would say that he hasn't impacted them uh, both personally and professionally in, in a positive way.
0: Yeah, you probably never saw this, but it was in the coach's room during spring training. As AJ Hinch would maintain, it was on the whiteboards. You could erase it, and move the arrow. The, the Brent Strom stress meter. Oh yeah, it's, see, I mean off yeah, the charts, exactly. Off the charts. I remember a spring training game. I wish I remember what the pitcher was, it he he looked he looked yeah. He, spring training pitcher threw like you know three shot innings, one hit, four Ks. Um, you know, and it's just watching Raptor after went to strong and said, Hey, it he looked pretty good. And Brent went, Oh, he's horseshit. Didn't have a curve breaking. But I'm like, come on, Brent, what are you doing? You look fine. It's
1: February. Uh, he, you know, he's always looking to get better uh, both yeah. himself and like what he expects of, of all of his guys. And, um, for me, when I came in, I was nobody, you know, I, I was nobody. I had no real resume to, uh, to stand on. And I remember after that first game where I I got called up and pitched in Seattle and you know, we were kind of talking throughout the game and he was like, I don't want to mess with you too much, but like, I, this is what I'm seeing. It's, this is working well. This is how I think you, third time through the lineup. This is how we're going to attack these guys. And then after the game, he was just, he couldn't have been more happy for me because mm. he knew he saw what it meant to me. And I think he's been through just about everything in this game that you can go through as a baseball player and as a pitcher and as a, uh, you know, a coach and everything. So he gets it and he saw it and he was like, this is, this is my guy. This is a guy that, that understands struggle and he's got a bright future ahead of him. And he said that to me and it meant the world at the time.
0: Um, yeah, it's the off It's November 10th, the off season has just started, but, uh, you know, spring training, uh, knock on wood doesn't start for, uh, you know, three more months. What do you do for the off season? I made some bread
1: uh, yeah, today, like you said. Uh, working on working on some domesticity um, on my end, uh, and then baseball wise, I'm I'm working out. Um, trying to keep my body, get my body in shape, keep it in shape, and I'll probably start playing catch once a week, maybe next week, maybe the week after, maybe once or twice a week, just nice and easy, just to keep my arm moving. Um, at my age, it's a little harder to to crank things up um, from scratch than it is to just kind of keep the inertia going Mm -hmm. so that's that's my goal and just to enjoy the holidays man it's it's coming around the corner it's going to be here really fast and you know i've got uh we got birthdays and we've got holidays and we've got all kinds of stuff happening so i'm going to try to enjoy every every second of it every minute of it and uh also at the same time try and um I don't know. Consult where I can when it when it comes to the uh, the union and CBA matters, and try and stay as involved and in abreast of things as I can.
0: Well, Colin, I want to I want to thank you so much for joining me, um, and and wish you all the luck in the world of free agency, hoping you get the biggest contract, the best money at the best place, um, <laughs> and 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 our listeners will certainly be rooting for you. So thanks so much for joining us.
1: Uh, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate it.